whatever wrongdoings we are reporting on and however well documented is, politicians make politics of it. So it's not like, is it true or not? If it's true, then it's, it's a lie of the enemy. It's never like the government comes out and holds a press conference where they say, yes, sorry, this was a mistake, you were right, we adjusted. It's just like, no, that's fake news. What grew out of this is a mess of content where serious content completely get mixed with uh, funny content. The problem is that Hungary is a small market and not a very wealthy one. So I don't really know any newsrooms where there is like an investigative section focusing only on complex stories. The two cannot go together. Now everything, everyone is turning back, saying that yes, we are the serious ones, we are not clickbait. Shocks in the media business or the format of the media business are pretty normal and periodically come back as, as uh, techno technological uh, development goes on. And I think the future will be the same. Hi and welcome to Oslo Media House podcast. My name is Chaitra and the guest for today's episode is a managing partner and senior editor of Direct36, which is a non-profit center based in Hungary. Launched in 2015, it has been experimenting with deep investigative journalism and storytelling. Let us welcome senior editor of Direct36 himself, Gergo Schalink. Hello. Hello, good morning to everyone. Could you tell our listeners where you're located and how you are part of Oslo Media House? So we are based in Budapest and mainly focusing on Hungarian stories, uh, misuse of power, corruption, political background stories. Sometimes we do cross-border things, how Hungarian players, public players do business in other countries and also uh, we are participating in some international projects like one of our reporters, my founding partner Andres is uh, working with ICIJ, we regularly work with OCCRP, so we do get that, that kind of stuff. And I got in touch with uh, Oslo Media House in 2016 when I was invited to a mini conference by here and I liked it a lot. And then once again, I, I, I came back not to the media house, but the Bergen Journalism Conference. And I can say I miss Norway a lot. <laughs> yes, Norway has that magic on everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so previously you worked as editor-in-chief and news director of Origo until 2014. So how different it is to work in Direct36? So I worked, Origo was uh, one of the two most popular news and features website in Hungary, which is a big thing here because here print media and online media is very much separated. It's like who has a good print product doesn't really have a good, uh, a good online product. There are some exceptions, but that is the uh, rule of thumb. So 
uh, the places, the go-to places for daily news consumption was really like the or or the biggest news portals. And Origo was one of them. So it's like 80 people working there, like a factory, a real news factory, uh, you know, daily coverage, background stories, every kind of stuff, sports, politics, culture, etc., etc. So it's like uh, it's like uh, uh, a very interesting adrenaline uh, adrenaline dependency trip. <laughs> like <laughs> I used to work there as as uh, the editor of the political section, then as vice editor in chief, then as editor in chief, and I always worked like. 12, 13 hours a day, but I was so much into this process of creating content that uh, I didn't really felt it like like busy or 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 devastating somehow. But then when I left Origo for two more months, I was waking up. My first uh, movement was to get, take my phone, check the RSS feeds. If something happened, mm-hmm. I said, no, no, no stop it you don't have to do it anymore so it's like really like when you are into it it's a very nice process and you are always there and try to be first etc but when you stop for a while you realize how much uh, energy it requires so when i left origo not for my decision by the way uh, we decided with uh, old colleagues and uh, especially with andres my partner to to do something very different, uh, where maybe stories can be more meaningful. It means they require much more efforts and work and background, etc. So let's do something like slow hand journalism, or 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 let's say uh, manuf- man- manufactured journalism. So let's go back. Let's slow down a little bit. Let's take a deeper look. Let's let's find the systemic connections between stories because in a big newsroom many times it's like you just move on as the new waves of news come in and you don't really have the time to dig deep dig really deep into into investigations and the problem is that Hungary is a small market and not a very wealthy one so I don't really know any newsrooms where there is like an investigative section focusing only on complex stories the two cannot go together so uh, Direct 36 is a non-profit investigative journalism. And uh, so any reasons for that? Like you are not depending on the government funds. Mm-hmm. So two, two reasons for that. One is that, uh, is that uh, let's say media ownership in Hungary has been always very shady, not so, let's say, not so cool. So when we founded Direct, we wanted to we wanted to be as fully transparent as we can, and we thought that nonprofit, uh, being a nonprofit, uh, is closer to that ideal than these for-profit things. Where I that there are many problems with them, and uh, on the other hand, we also knew that when we founded Direct in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, so we launched it in 2015 and uh, founded in 14. It was not really a thing to 
subscribe so this this whole thing about uh, paywalls and subscriptions and and small outlets asking for uh, supporting members to donate for their work was not really a thing there was only one small outlet who did uh, the, who, who who followed this model so we thought like if we are going to ask money from people small amounts uh, micro size donations then we we have to we have to promise them that we won't just spend it or take it as a profit or do something that is invisible for them and non-profits are 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 forced to keep all the profits inside the company and to use it for the company purposes so we felt it like it's it's a much more correct way to get in touch with people and asking for their money okay yeah so it's much more like a crowdfunded uh, yes, it's a crowd. Uh, okay, so our business model is uh, mixed, but the most important income is, is, is crowdfunding. Yeah, okay, that's great. And uh, could you please share your experience exposing the wrongdoings and abuse of journalism? Uh, <clears throat> abuse of journalism, what do you mean? Uh, what's happening, the corruption. Ah, okay, so... And uh, yes, and also abuse of journalism in a way that how uh, media is being kind of uh, authoritarian now in many many countries mm-hmm. so i think that is abuse of journalism because you're not showing the truth mm-hmm. so in hungary uh, okay so the, the during the past 10 years in hungary politics has become very dominant in the public discourse which is a very new thing and there were lots of uh, changes in ownership in important media companies and there's a there's an ever-growing uh, influence of the governing parties also in the media so there's a complete switch or or uh, or, or or a new setup in the media landscape in the media business in Hungary which is very interesting but the politics being so dominant makes it difficult to to I mean, whatever wrongdoings we are reporting on and however well documented is, is it, uh, uh, politicians make politics of it. So it's not like, is it true or not? If it's true, then it's it's a lie of the enemy. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not only in Hungary. You see it also in the US, yeah. fake news, etc., etc. You know the phenomenon. But let's say that Hungary or Hungarian politicians and especially the Hungarian government are like the pioneers, one among the pioneers of this process and they use mm-hmm. it, uh, let's say, very effectively. But yes. on the other hand, we, we, we know that, for example, we had a long project about some family businesses of the Hungarian prime minister's family and, and how the prime minister's family members did business with the state. And we know, for example, that one EU found that was... Uh, that was uh, so Olaf, the European anti-corruption body, found uh, that one of the use of the the use of one of the European funds were somehow murky or not not uh, correct in a way, and that was a story we previously reported reported on. So we believe that uh, still on some level our work has a has an impact, and there were some other cases like. Uh, 
police investigation started or, or, or uh, government uh, representatives losing their jobs. But uh, since everything is politics, it's never like the government comes out and holds a press conference where they say, yes, yeah, sorry, this was a mistake, you were right, we adjusted. It's just like, no, that's fake news. And then you can see that something happened that maybe shows that, uh, that uh, your job had, a, had, a, had an effect. Previously, you mentioned about a project called ICIJ. Could you please uh, tell what it is about? So I, 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 I personally, I'm not uh, in not working with them, but it's, uh, it's, uh, as its name shows, it's the International Consortium for in, uh, for Investigative Journalists. So it's like a worldwide um, body or a worldwide, uh, not association, uh, committee where, where, where journalists work together from different parts of the world. And uh, for example, they, they uncovered the Panama Papers story and uh, other similar offshore leaks. And there were also other projects. Uh, yeah, maybe Panama Papers is the, is, the, is the most famous among them. Impressive. And what is your opinion on the current state of the media industry? Are they losing credibility in a way? Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, very, yeah. it's very difficult to do all these U-turns uh, in, in a so short period of time. Like, you know, when Internet came in, Oh, there's this fantastic new tool. You are not constrained to to write your stories in 32 pages of, of print newspaper. Yes. You are not limited to this one-hour newscast you have in the television, so everything is possible. And then what grew out of this is a mess of content where serious content completely get mixed with uh, funny content. And we just somehow forgot that Yes, journalism has to be, has to be, how to say, has to be something that the public would like to consume. So it has to be engaging, etc., etc. But maybe there's a limit where, where I mean, being funny and being loose and 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 being sarcastic is harmful for the serious part of your job. So now everything, everyone is turning back, saying that, yes, we are the serious ones, we are not clickbait, etc. But still, if you look at big newspapers, websites, okay, so there are rare cases where there is no clickbait, but still content production for clicks and serious journalism is still in a complete mess and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's what I was going to for the next question. So clickbaits in the social media, I think it is to be blamed as it is easy for anyone to sell any kind of information online. And what do you have to say about that? Well, I think uh, you can love or hate social media, but um, I don't know. I am not an expert, but, but as I see it as an editor and a journalist, I think it's normal ev evolution. So when television or radio came in, that was a big mess for all the guys working in uh, print newspapers. Then television came in, a oh, completely new environment, new possibilities, everything will change, etc. Same thing with internet, now same thing with uh, social media. So these, 
like shocks in the media business or the format of the media business are pretty normal and periodically come back as, as uh, techno technological uh, uh, development goes on. And I think the future will be the same. Uh, now the thing is social media and I don't really think you can do anything about it because, uh, I mean, if you look at it as a, as a content distributor, I think the regulation is too loose for social media, which makes yeah. the competition between serious journalism and social media very imbalanced and, and favoring social media. But I guess it happens because the regulator, who are politicians, after all, this way they have a completely free channel to use to push through their messages. So... I mean, people who could regulate it are not really interested in regulating it and going back to these watchdogs and having those uh, hardcore interviews where they have to explain uh, explain their policies and their what's what's in their minds. This way, they just can go through it without any censorship, any control, anything. So, why would they stop social media? Why would they? cut these, 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 these branches of social media. So I think uh, we just have to understand it better, how to use it and, uh, and somehow gain back this trust we were talking about. And uh, I think that will make the work for us because yeah, maybe media companies will fall and maybe some big titles will disappear, but people are still curious and will be curious in the future. And Yes, there is a lot of fake news, but still people are using their minds. So when you come up with a hardcore, very interesting story that will resonate in the audience. So I don't know what will be the format, but uh, this thing will exist, I mean, always. So we have to find a way how to, how to find its place, place in this new environment dominated by social media and these independent channels, billions of independent channels. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's totally depending on the reader. Like everyone is falling as a prey for the clickbaits, but it's up to oneself. If just use your mind and before sharing it, just know what is yes. in. Is it the fact? Just check your facts first. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, what is your vision for the next year? Are there any particular report that you are working and would like to shed light on? So we are working on several projects, uh, but uh, yeah, the most important thing is that now, so we found it direct nearly six years ago, or we launched it nearly six years ago, and now we found, I think, a good... Uh, so even if we had more than a decade of, of experience, this was a new thing for us, how you do investigations, how you publish it, how you convince other websites and other media outlets to pick them. Uh, so we learned a lot during the past uh, five years, five and a half years, and now we would like to grow a little bit, hire more reporters and uh, cover more stories, focus a little bit on audiovisual uh, storytelling because it works very well on social media. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now we are at the mm. point where the basic, the, the core group, the core team is, is, I think, very solid and we will move on, but uh, we have to grow and, and there are so many stories to report on. 
And this kind of journalism we do, this balanced and fact-based and well-documented thing is still in short supply. So I think yeah. we can do much more. So we are not trying to grow for the sake of growth because everything has to grow. It's just because <laughs> there is still room for reporting. And uh, we had a very good crowdfunding campaign just a month ago. So we feel like there is enough support and interest from the audience. So maybe we can take a step forward. Yeah, and uh, just reflecting on what you just said about how, uh, I mean, like, yes, I think social media is also driving all the journalism into uh, making short videos, rather full journal uh, reporting. I think it's converting to two or three minutes of video. And I think that what information, what we are giving is always in bits and pieces rather giving the entire knowledge and the background. Yeah, I think I this agree. is what social media is making us to break it, break all the information to pieces and uh, giving half knowledge to the audience. Yeah, but I mean, it's always like a, a learning process. If you think about it, when the first websites, where the first serious websites uh, started to function, at least in Hungary, yes, it was a very different tone from that serious kind of print uh, tone we had. But uh, on the other hand, it was a print newspaper, put it in another format. So mm-hmm. we are still trying to push these Vox Pop 10 minutes videos on Facebook and elsewhere, not as I mean, uh, media in general in Hungary. And I don't think that's the good format. It's like the television put it on another platform. Uh, yeah, so you have to adapt if you want to reach people. And the important thing is to share your message and share your information, not really where you share it. I understand that it's complex and there's a business need behind it. And you cannot give all your money to Mark Zuckerberg just for mm-hmm. distributing your content. But uh, yeah, we have to find ways to 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 grab some some solid points also there some some good uh, headquarters exactly on that note uh, like before we end this podcast would you like to share a memory connected to oslo media house yeah i okay i have i have i have three very <laughs> vivid memories one is that when i was in oslo that was the first time i traveled in scandinavia or that north so and it was i think late august so the sun already started to get a little bit lower and that was the first time i saw i saw these long uh, sunsets and long sunrises and it was like wow very interesting (laughs) here it's very different so not like the equator where the sun comes up but really the transition is much quicker so from a nature's point of view, <laughs> that's one thing. <laughs> and I remember very well that the conference was uh, very good in the sense that before that conference, I was always, so several times I went to these international meetings and it was always like a lot of blah, 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 required a lot of time and, and could pick up very few. So here the schedule was very tight. You had very few time to speak, quick discussion, let's move on. And then let's have something like a free discussion after. And I like the format very much. 
So yeah, a few useless words, a lot of focus, and then let's move on. Let's do our thing. Yeah. So this is two. What was the third? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember, but these two things for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Any plans of visiting uh, Norway? <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. I, I, I would like to see the northern part because I've never been uh, so north and because my favorite musician is from Tromsø. So I would like to see where those ideas come from. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, so I, I am planning to go back maybe with my family, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And maybe hopefully uh, media meeting 2021, you know, I would uh, get to meet you here personally then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been a pleasure talking to you, Gargo, and uh, thank you again. Thank you much. Thank you very much for being interested. <laughs> My pleasure. Yes, and this is Chaitra signing off.